My name is Bob Dyer, and I am, by training, by profession, I'm a counselor. I uh, was uh, with a counseling practice for several years now. I'm in uh, uh, educational administration, or some administrative school as well, but I, I do I spend time in counseling. Whenever I say that, they go, oh, he's in therapy. No, I was, I was a counselor for several years. Uh, but more importantly, and I think to what we want to really accomplish today and my place here today, is just like as a parent. And uh, I have a son who is about out of his teenage years. He'll be out of his teenage years in February. So that's a milestone. I don't know if we're looking forward to or not. But we also have a daughter who, like Braun said, is a, uh, will be a senior in high school this year. This is my wife of 25 years, Rebecca. She will, uh, she's my fact checker. So when we go home, if I say anything that's wrong, inappropriate, everything, trust me, I will hear about it. So no, I should hear that. Uh, now, Here's what I want you to uh, One thing I want you to know, and I'll just say this, and I know this, this is recording, but um, the truth is, if you're in this class, really, you have the toughest job, in, th in theory, okay? You know, we can talk about parenting kids, and, you know, three-year-olds, five-year-olds. This is really, this is AP parenting right here, okay? This is master's level parenting, okay? How many of y'all have uh, teenage boys or high school boys right now already, okay? How many of you have... Boys are out of high school. Anybody? Okay, like me. I'm Blake. Okay. Um, and here's the thing. Um, it really is a different uh, animal. But here's what I really want to encourage you with. I really want to encourage you with this. Is that don't buy into the stereotype. Don't buy into the lines. Because you know what? Uh, you know, you hear about you know, terrible twos. We all heard about terrible twos. Now, I never bought into that. I never did. Now, it doesn't mean that they don't, they're not uh, challenging and they won't test a little bit, but I think a lot of times we buy into stereotypes and lies and culture. Everybody else says that here's what's going to happen. And it's not always the truth. It is not always the truth. As a matter of fact, I think more often than not, it really isn't. Now, the bottom line, though, for me is that a lot of what we do as parents goes in assisting and helping them become what God really wants them to be. And we have an incredible responsibility. I'll even say this. I'm really happy, and I'll tell you this, uh, candidly, I'm so happy to see dads here. Now, I don't say that flippantly, because a lot of times when I do seminars or workshops or talk to parents or whatever, moms are always there. When it comes to parenting stuff, moms are always there. And guys, especially when we're talking about our sons, we really need to be there. We need to be here for stuff like this, whatever we can. And really, it's not about, oh my gosh, I'm a bad parent, I need more help. No, sometimes it's about just making sure it's maintenance. <laughs> sometimes it's just making sure I'm ahead of the curve. I'm going to talk about that. But in general, I really want you to know that we are, and this says more about you than me or Braun or anything else. It really says a lot about you that you are taking this that seriously. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look to the person to your left or right, okay, and say these three words, Okay. You need this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We all do. Yeah. We all do. Now, here's what I want. Here's what I mean by that. We need this. Now, the first thing I, I don't want you to think is that, oh my gosh, you know, this is about setting parameters and boundaries and limits and and, and helping me to you know discipline my kid. No, this I want to encourage you. You need this, and I think you need encouragement. I really want this to be a day of encouragement, a time of encouragement, because again. Again, don't bind the stereotypes, don't bind the lines, but again, this is how can we be effective parents? And I said effective, not perfect, okay? Because again, if you're like me, you know your flaws, you know your weaknesses, and uh, you know where you fall down. 
So, but we can be effective uh, by God's grace um, and His help. And I remember, um, this has been my prayer, and I told Bron this, uh, since my kids were just itty-bitty babies. Now, Patrick is now like 6'1", maybe 6'2", I don't know, he's just grown as they do. Uh, but I remember when he was just little and I was holding him in my hand and my arms, but praying, with both, uh, praying for both my kids in their cribs. And the simple prayer is this. Lord, help me stay out of your way. Because again, if you're like me, you know yourself. You know your tendency to want to control, or you know your tendency to have good intention to parent, to God protect them, go ahead of them, go, man, I got to do this for them because I don't want that to happen to them. Well, some of the time, you know, that's that's really in God's economy for certain things to happen for them to grow and everything else. But we need to be there to help them along. Now, the other thing is this: that uh, how many of y'all uh, this is your first time with a teenager, high school boy? First time. Okay. All right. Now, did you ever come to that point where you kind of woke up one night or one morning and said, oh, my gosh, what happened to my little boy? You know? It's like aliens came in one night, you know, took them away and replaced them with some, you know, hormonal, you know, frenzied thing. Right? Well, here's, you know, again, remember this, it's by God's design, okay? Not that they become some weird mutant or uh, mutation, but they're growing. They are growing. And we're going to kind of talk about that as we go through this thing. But again, this is about prep, uh, preparation. It's about being ready, okay? So again, aliens didn't come in and, t- uh, you know, and steal your parents. Uh, the other thing is, uh, steal their kids. Sometimes it's about feeling like you're losing your son. You may feel like that. Now, that's a, part of that is healthy because... It, reality says, you know, to a degree, you are losing your son only because they're growing and becoming what God wants them to be. Okay, but you're not really again as we're, as we're being a, trying to be effective parents, we're not losing them. They're not going to go away forever. They're just not. This is a time where they really are growing and experiencing all kinds of things physiologically, emotionally, spiritually, socially. All that stuff is wrapped into what being a teenager is all like. Now again. I, I caution you, and it's, it's okay, half the time it's good to think, to try to remember back when you were a teenager and kind of relate and associate that to what they may be going through. And we'll talk about this in a little bit, but the other side is, I'd say, try not to at the same time. Now, I uh, am a product of the 60s and 70s. I was born in the 50s, but a product of the 60s and 70s. And, uh, you know, I can't imagine... Now, just for me, I cannot imagine being a high schooler today. I really can't. I mean, I thought it was tough, you know, being, you know, growing up in the 70s and all that was going on there. But then today, with everything that they're up against, uh, all the cultural stuff, and which Braun, you know, said, said there's a big, uh, almost a black hole out there. But we have people like Braun out there to help us out. And if you were in there, I don't know, uh, Kyle said this, you know, it's about... Uh, having people around them. And I this is just an aside. We have been so blessed in our family to have Watermark, the the uh, student ministry. Um, it's really what got us into Watermark, brought us to Watermark, uh, because of, uh, you all know David Peniel? David just kind of hooked up with Patrick because Patrick because uh, Patrick's friends were part of a small group. And uh, we were going to another church, and they invited him to come there and uh, David happened to be the, the group leader. And then all of a sudden, David had latched on to Pat and was sending him emails and you know writing him and encouraging him and inviting him to things. And that's the thing that I was 
I was happy about it because then again, we've he's uh, connected with uh, someone who's very close to him, a guy named uh, Dustin, who is just uh, a great young man who has his own family. And uh, anyway, uh, it's, it's great that, that, that we have those people here to go and to encourage and mentor. Now, you have your notes. They are not exhaustive. Now, you're, if you're an obsessive, you'll be taking notes. That's fine. If not, just kind of listen. The other thing is this. Uh, in your, I don't know if they wanted us to uh, remind you, but anyway, in your clipboard, there is a, I think, a blue sheet right there, which is an evaluation sheet. If this is the greatest thing that you've ever heard in your life, go ahead and fill that out. If it's not, give those to me, and I'll fill them out for you. Okay? Just, I just want to serve you that way. Okay? But they'll, they'll have that. All right. Now, now, one thing, you know what you'll never find in the Bible? You'll never find the word teenager in the Bible. Do you know that? You'll never find the word. The word teenager is really a modern kind of thing. What you will find about a hundred times is the word young man. And that's who we're dealing with here, is young men. Okay? And so again, different sizes, different intellects, different personalities, but again, these are your young men. Now, and initially, you see on your notes here, the biblical basis of what we do and the purpose for parenting is to teach. And as uh, Kyle has said, the, uh, the jumping off point for us is out of Scripture, De- Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I've kind of gone through and given my own little uh, outline of that and why it's important. And here it is. Okay? First things first. I really believe this. Our kids are watching us. Our sons are watching us. And they've grown up, and they're growing up in your home. And the scary thought is sometimes they're watching everything you do. And one of the most humbling things was to realize how much Pat was really watching me. And my daughter, but Pat, my son, was watching me. And what I did, how he echoed things, and how he even you know, would think certain things. And I thought, gosh, did I give him that? And then I had to start thinking, okay, is that right? Is that wrong? Okay. But again... I think first, if we're going to teach our kids and we're going to follow God's mandates and statutes and commandments, then we really have to first know what we're talking about ourselves. We really need to be students of the Word. We need to hopefully, you know, all of us, and I don't know any of you. I mean, I don't know a lot of you. Uh, but I'm, I'm praying and I'm hoping that you first have a relationship with Christ. I really do. And I don't take that for granted. Anytime I have an opportunity to speak or share, I never take that for granted that everybody in the room has a relationship with Christ. And if you don't understand what that really means, I would say stay after or talk to Brian, talk to me, talk to anybody you feel comfortable with about what that really means. Because for us here at Watermark, as Christians, as believers, as followers of Christ, that's where it starts and that's where it ends. It really does. So again, if we're going to follow God, then we need to follow His Word. But as we're going to impart that to our kids... We need to first be students as well. Uh, and the, the basically the, the example, if you read that passage, it's Moses. Moses is talking, and he's teaching them what God had commanded him to instruct the people, the people with. So he had to know it too. He had to know it first. And that's like us, the parents. Uh, if we're not learning God's commandments and statutes, then here's the question. Then what are we passing on to our kids? Okay? All right, now... Uh, three objectives out of that passage. Okay, and again, this is just kind of precursor to where we're going to be heading here, but I want to make sure we understood this. One is that in, in uh, the verses one through three, it talks about that they will obey God. Why do we pass this on so that they'll obey God? And that basically speaks to their will. Their will. And we talk about strong-willed kids and everything else. Well, we have a way. We have a, a, a um, uh, I guess, an avenue to help mold that. Their will. Okay, but by, by the instructions. The second thing is that they'll love God. That speaks to their heart. That speaks to their heart. And then the final objective uh, is found in verses 7 through 9, is that they will know God. 
And that speaks to their mind. The will, the heart, and the mind. The three objectives of that passage. And, you know, we talk about our kids, and, you know, uh, I know I've changed, uh, I guess, my perspective as they've grown. You know, we all have, guys, you're like me, you want your kid to be the, you know, the greatest athlete. I mean, that was my thing, be the greatest athlete, be the, be the you know, the star of this, star of that. Some of us, McJunkins, have kind of gotten that taken care of, okay? <laughs> but, you know, I want to pat, he was a really fast runner, he was a great track, he was a good little baseball player and everything, and I played baseball, and, Right. And all of a sudden, uh, I don't know, 15, 16, say, yeah, I'll play baseball anymore. And it's, because I'm so highly trained and sophisticated, I, uh, <laughs> I just controlled myself. But he said, I don't want to play baseball anymore. Well, that, that kind of struck me. But I, but I realized that I wanted, I wanted him. And he just, you know, he just wanted to be a kid. He really did. But when, when it got down to it, I realized, you know what? More than anything, I'm so proud of him because he really just wants to be a good kid. And I'm proud because he pursues that stuff. He really does. And so, again, as much as I would like him to be this or that, fundamentally, when it's all said and done at the end of my life, at the end of his life, you know, they're not going to care. People aren't going to care, but they are going to care that he was a good kid. They knew God, that he knew God. And I believe that's what he is, and that's who he is. All right. And then, just so you'll know, uh, just as an appendage, I guess, with this, is that as we deal with their mind, we teach them that they'll know God. We also hopefully understand that they're equipped, and they're equipped for this. They're equipped to be able to flee from idols. Okay, and this is in the context of what they're getting ready to be uh, to deal with as young adults, as teenagers, as young men in the culture, wherever you want to put them. Uh, but they'll flee from idols. That they'll trust God, and that they'll be God-centered. They're equipped for that. That's really why we look at uh, Deuteronomy six. You can look at uh, Ephesians six four. It says, you know, don't provoke your kids to anger, but what? Instruct them, okay? Instruct them in the ways of God, okay? You look at Proverbs 22.6, and we all pretty much know that passage, or most of us probably do, right? Uh, you know, turn up your child the way you should go, so when he's old, he won't depart from it. That's good stuff, and this is what we're talking about here. All right, now, real simply, with the introduction, parenting adolescence, again, I said it's, you know, it's AP parenting. It really is. But parenting, I, sure, right sure, go ahead. One thought with this that I've noticed with, in my own self, you know, this parenting is a, is a great mirror for us. You know, we look at our kids and we see things that play out in their lives. We go, man, I know where my son gets that. The other day I was telling Bob, um, my oldest son, Braden, spilled grape juice in the kitchen, a big thing of it, you know. And, and my tendency, I'm, a, I'm an anger guy at times. And so when I get frustrated, I don't know if, like if I hurt myself, then I'm the guy that will go, because I'm frustrated. And so I watched Brady, he spills the grape juice and he hits the cabinet. You know, as hard as he can, like he's so mad. And I thought, okay, get that for me. And so what I want to, what I want to challenge us with as parents is um, when we think about these idols, and when we talked about idols in there and trusting God and we got centered, we are, we're, we're communicating with our kids all the time, like Bob said. And, if, uh, and I think one of the best things I've seen dads do is confess to their kids, hey, this is an issue for me. You know, um, your dad wants you to be a great athlete because there's a lot of pride in him, and there's a lot of, um, he wants glory for himself sometimes, and he's reliving his dreams, or whatever it is, you need to get that appropriately. But I would just say, man, when you, and just ask the Lord, Lord, show me where I have idols. And I am, even if I'm not saying, son, I want you to have this idol, I my responses to him wanting to quit baseball, 
you know, and we go on, you know, the response may have been, son, you can't quit baseball, that's the only way you're going to, you know, be like at school, and that's the way you can, you know, or whatever it is. Maybe there's some pressure you feel with that. And, and so, whatever those idols are, I think for us as parents, we got to continue to confess to the Lord and go, Lord, make me more like you. And then I just talked to my son, son, the reason you're impatient sometimes is because you came by it honestly. You, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And I said, man, I want the Lord to change me, and I'm going to work on that. And at the same time, I'm going to challenge you in the same area. So we're going to work on it together. And so I, I just think a lot of times we wonder where our kids get some of the way they, they are. And maybe it's the way we respond, what we value, they're going to value. And um, the only other example I'd give you is that Angie and I tend to talk about, uh, we realize we maybe talk about money a little bit too much, like just not worried about it or just kind of concerned about Braden. We're, we're out playing baseball, and he throws the ball, and it goes over my head and shatters our back band window. Okay? And he looked at me, and he went, like, he was so scared that I was going to be like, and he goes, that's probably going to cost $1,000. <laughs> and I said, listen, that's only 300 allowances for you. <laughs> but, but I remember him saying that, and I thought, this is his release. So I thought, man, somehow, I said, Brayden, I said, why are you so worried about that? You know, and he's heard us talk about money. I'm just going, we got to be careful. And so I said, hey, buddy, that is not a big deal. You know, that was an accident. And even if you, you know, you did, what would you do? And we talked through scenarios of how you handle that. But I just realized, well, I'm communicating things to him all the time. And so whatever those are for you, you know, just that we would remain as parents soft for the Lord. Recognize that we're a, a work in progress. Philippians 1 6, God's still not finished with us. And um, so that, that's good for us just to confess to, to our spouses to, to go, man, this is an error. we got to continue to work. And then also where we need to with our kids. Yeah. I wanted to comment one thing about the baseball, too. Oh, man. No, it was really interesting because, like, that's what Bob did. And he went to college playing baseball. And so that was really important to him. But because we didn't kind of force Patrick to keep doing that, he showed interest in things we would have never pushed him into. He applied for, he worked with Sam Johnson for two years on some kind of council that you had to apply for. We would have never thought to do that. He worked on Pete Sessions um, Sorry. Uh, when he was running. And then he ran for certain things in school. What was he saying? He was president of it one yeah. year. That if he would have been caught up in baseball, he wouldn't have done it. So, I mean, I don't know if God will ever use that, but I just thought it was interesting. Uh, you know, that's what Brom was saying. <laughs> okay, I'm going to start the whole thing over again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure. No, I would. That's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, that's it. It's so right about confession. Uh, it really is. Uh, it, my my thing. And we'll not do group therapy here. But my thing was, uh, I'm Bob. I'm a worrier. Okay, that was my thing. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Yeah, that was my. And Pat gets that. Pat gets that honestly. He really does. And uh, we've seen that as he's grown up. Uh, even the other day we were having a conversation. He's going to be a sophomore at A&M, and you know he was worrying about something. 
You know, what's great though is he's a little more. He's got Rebecca's emotional health though in him enough. Or he started worrying about it. And I said, Pat, you know, I wish you know, you know, I wish you weren't worried about that. And he goes, but Dad, you know what? That's not your fault. So I'm like, okay, then I don't own that. You know. So anyway, but anyway, but now again, going back to uh, something that Braun said leads us to the next point. And I really believe this. And I, every chance I get, I say this: that parenting it's an ongoing conversation. Too often, though, whether it's on a counseling situation or dealing with parents and other things, they come in and it's like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And there's been a time lapse here, up to 15 years old, and maybe they've been home and maybe they've read the paper and kind of muttered, hey, do your homework, that kind of stuff, but that's when they're not communicating. You know, maybe it's just like that in marriage, you know? You have to communicate to make the relationship work and go. But with our kids... Especially with everything that we're responsible for under God's auspices of the guidance of God, then we really need to keep that conversation going. You talk about stuff when they're, as it's appropriate, obviously, you know, when they're three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, you keep that conversation going. Why? Because it's just little things that they know where you stand, they know what's important to you, your value system, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's an ongoing conversation, and again, it doesn't stop when they graduate from high school. It just doesn't. Some of the greatest things, I think, is what is that we have, Pat and I, are communicating on different levels now. He is, uh, you know, he, he loves what he calls philosophical theology. He really likes to think through and grapple. I am not that way at all, but he'll ask me questions. And we'll talk about that kind of stuff. But the greatest thing that, he, that I, I've ever experienced with Pat is because I believe that this ongoing conversation we have is that when he went off to A&M, he called me up and he said, Dad, he goes, I want you to be my accountability partner. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that meant a lot to me for all kinds of reasons. It wasn't just that, oh, yeah, that's good for him and he's being smart. you know. But he w- I don't think he would have done that if he didn't feel like, you know what, we've, we've talked about this. And he feels comfortable with that. Now, it doesn't mean that it works for everybody. It doesn't mean that, you know, you, you get that. And maybe it's not that. Maybe it's other stuff. But it's an ongoing conversation. Don't ever... Uh, I would just encourage you, don't ever uh, take for granted the time that you have, you know, with your son to communicate. Now, it's not always easy, you know, because they not, may not be as communicative or verbose as you would like. Okay, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But it doesn't mean they're not talkative. It doesn't mean that they won't talk. But again, this is that time frame where they're probably just a little bit different than maybe they were at four or five. Okay, that's just... Just a tip for you. All right, the perfect parent does not exist, okay? Apart from God, does not exist. Now, here's the thing. We're off the hook. Can I say that? We're kind of off the hook because, again, God is the example, but he knows us. He knows us. Now, he puts us in a place, a position of responsibility for our kids, you know? He's given us stewardship, if I can use that word, with our kids. But it's not like he's, okay, now just go and figure it out. He doesn't do that. He says, okay, look, you're not perfect, but I want you to take this kid, and I want you to stay with me, you know, hook up with me, and then I'm going to guide you with this thing. But again, it goes back to what we talked about a while ago. It requires us first to be connected to God, okay, to have that relationship, but then to be staying in the Word and, you know, be, you know to uh, uh, be listening and waiting and hearing God and praying, all that kind of stuff. So that's it's imperative, but it's okay. And here's the problem, though. If you're like me, like a lot of us, Pride tends to get in the way. And you know what i found a lot of times, especially with guys, that we're successful and you're successful in your business and doing this and doing that, and you become that because you know how to manage, you know how to control, you know how to see things and get it done. Well, 
That's great. But sometimes that teenage boy doesn't fit in this step or that step or this step. Or we think, you know, I don't know how to deal with this 14 or 15-year-old, so what do I know how to do? I know how to manage. So then we start doing that. You know, it's, it's going to be like, uh, because my training's in counseling, if every time Pat came and talked to me, or spoke to me, I said, okay, Pat, tell me how you feel. Okay? Let's, let's see if we can come to, you know, that, it just wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. Or Rebecca, because she's a teacher, and every time our kids spoke to, uh, came to her, she'd go, well, let's see how we can do that better. Okay? Or take some blackboard, or uh, how they just <laughs> dates me, a whiteboard. That's what's writing a list. Well, that's great in theory, but again, these are kids, and they are very unique, and they've got their own stuff going on. So again, but it's okay if we're not perfect because there's only one. We're not him. Now, the other thing is realizing and admitting it's the first step, okay, that you're human, that you are human. You're going to make mistakes. One of the best things you can do, and, and we tend not to do this, is when we make a mistake is not admit it, okay? That's a great thing. It's a great tool. And it's gotten me off of a lot of stuff when I tell you to Pat or Kelsey, man, Dad, I just blew it. I blew it. You know, I just, I made a mistake. Because again, you know what that does? It lets them know that it's okay to make mistakes. And especially in the adolescent mind, when they think that they're, when all the stuff is going on, you know, with their body and their thoughts and everything else, they already feel kind of awkward to begin with. And if they feel like you're the standard and you are perfect in every way, and even when you make a mistake, you don't admit it. They feel like, I can't be like that. And it makes them feel even more so. They feel more human and more related, I think, to you when they, when they hear you say, you know what? I did mess up. You know, dads do that. Moms do that. We just do. We're human. Okay? But that's okay. Admit that, especially to your, your son. And then trusting yourself as a parent. Again, that goes back to re- first requiring that you trust God. Okay? And here's the thing I would encourage you to do with this. Remember God's promises. Remember His promises for you. Remember the Holy Spirit dwells within you. A lot of times, again, we try to manage everything on our own, our own ability, our own strength. And God says, look, you don't need to do that. The Holy Spirit's there. What do you know? Uh, remember my promises. Remember me. Okay, so again, uh, trust yourself. We think that we're somehow going to say the one thing that is going to send our kid down to Harry Hines. You know, or they're going to die. well, you know, first, you know, we, you know, mom and dad make a mistake, then they're doing crack. You know, that's the equation we make. Okay? <laughs> that, it just that doesn't work like that. Okay, we can make mistakes, and they're okay. God has made them incredibly resilient. You know that they really are resilient. Doesn't mean they always can accept things and go, wow, that's great. Okay, no, they kind of sometimes they skin their knees a little bit emotionally, but again, it's okay. God made them resilient. And then the final thing is, uh, with this part as far as the introduction is this, uh, you've got to realize that, and again, uh, parents love to know that, what do I do? Just give me five steps. Give me five things to do, and that's it. Don't we love that? I love that. It's so, it's so much easier. And it kind of fits, right? And that's why, you know, back when the, uh, I guess the codependency world was so big back in the, uh, I guess, the 90s, and everything had a 12-step for this, 12-step for that, and if you just follow this, 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 and you know, or seven steps to, you know, whatever. Uh, it'd be great. It really would be great. But just like medicine, one medicine doesn't fit everything, okay? You don't give a kid, you know, uh, ADD medication because they, uh, they're, uh, they broke their leg. There's, you, know, you just don't look at it that way. So again, there's lots of things you can do 
so don't expect just one one thing. All right, now let's get to the nuts and bolts of this thing. All right, here's the reality check. Okay, say goodbye to your A track. Okay, now, I don't know if you had an A track, but I did. Oh yeah. Yeah, and uh, uh, these are not. And we kind of touched on this a while ago. These are not the same as your teenage years. They're just not. They're really not. And, I, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, but also, it's kind of scary. It's a different culture, different world. Uh, you know, just think about growing up today. What, how you would have fit. You know, I know I had the struggles uh, to begin with, uh, but each generation has issues of its own. You know, Braun sees it every day, and you talk about someone who really is in, in touch with culture. Well, Braun is. Yeah. One thing we we're going to talk about with this is just that one thing I've watched over the last 18 years of student ministry is is just the way that uh, we all know that the family, when as the family has struggled and there's been you know dysfunction and things going on in the family. Kids have looked to latch on to, to more and more things for identity. And if you remember when, when we were in school, I'll say we, you know, it's a relative statement. But uh, uh, I used to remember there were certain people groups, but there's probably three or four. You know, it might have been the jocks and the preps and the, the druggies or that kind of thing when I remember. And now, if you look, one of the, the I think, the picture, pictures of our culture is there's all these different people groups. You know, there's... There's skaters and goths and emus and all these different uh, emus, emo. <laughs> <laughs> if you'll see them in the schools now, it's really good. <laughs> I know the culture. Uh, but, so I, I would just say uh, different, and I'm going to say, but it is different. You're going to see a lot more people groups. And I think that's a lot of, again, kids, the, the need for security, the need to feel loved and need all those things that Bob's going to get on here a little bit are really evident and that's one of them and um, so the job that we do to bring identity to them in Christ to know that um, you know they're, they're loved by their parents is a big deal and, uh, and so I think it really is a good thing for us to recognize yeah they're in a different culture than we used to and they're trying even harder and you think about your insecurity in junior high um, that has elevated several levels. And I think some of that's because of what's going on at home. We haven't done a good job overall. And so I just see it as a great opportunity for us um, as parents to go, man, I want to make sure um, my boy knows, man, I love him and God loves him and that they need to find their security in Christ. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that. We really do want to convey that that idea that uh, and that fact that God loves them. And I also thought that, and I told this to Brown the other day, one thing I really was, was uh, uh, convicted by when they were really young uh, in my faith was when they look at me, do I have what I call an inviting faith? Because if I'm talking about God and I'm talking about how important God is to our family and everything else, does it match with the way I'm living? And is it something they're kind of going, wow, you know what, I want to be like Dad or I want to be like Mom. I want to, be, I want to have that kind of faith. I want to have that confidence and that assurance and that security that, yeah, God really does love me and he, He's not going to leave me. And so as we're kind of going through this, and I want that to be an encouragement. We really do want that to be an encouragement. You know, you, you might sit there, and as we've all done, well, you know, I'm not there and I don't do that. I don't, you know, trust me. It's one of those things where even as a counselor I say, you know, do as I say, not as I do. You know, because you know, none of us have it all together. But again, we go back to that God component that God lives he loves us. He sent His Son to die for us. The Holy Spirit lives within us. Okay, so all this, you know, it really is. Um, uh, it really is about 
you know, loving them through this thing, but also offering them an inviting faith, something they're going to grab onto that, again, kind of takes them into adulthood. All right, so again, each generation has issues of its own. We've all got that. Yes, ma'am? Do, do you want us to hold on to our questions? Yeah, if you would. Yeah, we're going to have some time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you, y'all really have more questions? Good questions. It's a real Man. All right, then the other thing is the man child. You probably know this. If, uh, I, you know, at Trinity Christian, where I spend most of my time, uh, it's always fun. Uh, this is the, kind of the evil Mr. Dyer that comes out. But I always love watching the ninth graders, especially the ninth grade boys, step in, come in. Because uh, even in the eighth graders, but primarily the ninth graders, I work with the high school, as you see this, uh, you know, all the boys lined up. And you've got ninth graders. You've got ninth graders. And then you've got ninth graders. And you've got everything in between. And I was one of the more... I wasn't the ninth grader, but I was kind of one of the ninth graders, you know, like that. Uh, and so you look around, and you think, I don't know, you know, maybe you were the biggest kid, you know, growing up. I was, I was always behind. I was always behind, you know. It wasn't like Braun. Braun was probably six four when he was, six, you know, twelve. I don't know. Uh, we that. So we look around, and we think, oh God, you know, they're going to be, uh, you know, how they're going to make it, you know, because there's this difference. And so we, and there's always that one kid, like in eighth grade, that's shaving, you know. <laughs> He's the man-child. I don't know if you have one of those. We didn't. We know we didn't. Patrick's still hoping. He's looking in the mirror. Oh, my gosh. i got to have one. He's almost 20 years old, you know. But, again, there's just there's, you know, one size doesn't fit all. As much as we think it does, it doesn't, which really kind of lends itself to the next point, okay, that I want to talk about. Now, puberty. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because there's a lot that can be said about puberty. Now, ideally, at least, you know, as far as, you know, um, if you look at uh, the clinical aspect of puberty, basically on average, boys go through puberty about 13 or 14, girls about 12 and 13. And again, there's kind of a disparity with that, you know. Um, but what's going on? This is really, you know, God's little time bomb, I think, you know, because here it is. You know, we knew how to manage our kids. They're three, they're five, they're six, they're seven, they're eight. They're, they're just kind of manageable, little nice cuddly things, okay. But then all of a sudden, God equips them with this. Uh, with this time bomb, and then all of a sudden, when it goes off, there's this electrochemical frenzy uh, shockwave that is sent through this body that is growing, and it latches on to all these cells, and all this stuff's happening. And that's now, and that kind of triggers at the same time, pretty much when they're going into high school, or at the end of maybe their middle school years. And that breeds all kinds of fun stuff. Again, not just the physiological stuff, but the emotional stuff. And again, and if you look at... Uh, more of the, um, um, I guess, the emotional, the, the intellectual stuff. And we'll talk about that in just a second. They start thinking differently. They start thinking differently, and that's part of the process, too. Uh, but here's the problem, at least potentially. For a lot of those boys, uh, sometimes they'll get to it eventually. That body looks like an adult in a very short period of time. Once they're going through the puberty, they go through puberty, and all of a sudden what was once this little cuddly, nice-looking, facial, you know, hair-free person, little buddy, now is this huge monstrosity. They look like an adult, but they're still thinking, acting like a kid. And that, at least potentially, uh, is cause for, uh, at least potentially for, for, for tension. Uh, so what do we do? We have, uh, you know, we, we have in our mind this idea that he looks like a man, okay? And so there are new expectations, new experiences. But let me just tell you this. For the boy, for the teenage boy, usually, when this is going on, the physiological stuff that's going on, I think is less traumatic than the way 
people now, others, close people, are starting to look at them. That is where it becomes a little bit more traumatic. Why? And I'm not trying to get too far ahead of myself, but again, this drastic change in who, how they look and how they feel and how they're looking at themselves and their feelings are attached to the way they look and the way they look at themselves. But now all of a sudden, mom and dad or other people are looking at them and the expe- expectations change. Why? Because they look like an adult. So we start expecting adult-like stuff. And remember, they may be 14, they're 15, 16, 17, okay? And again, we think, well, they're 17, they're 18, man. They're ready for high, they're ready for college, they're ready to move on. They're still kids. You know, technically, adolescence really goes into 20, goes up to about 25. Do you know that? 25 years old. I, well, I wasn't even married at 25. I just got married at, at 26, but I just turned 26. And I remember, and I, we were talking about this, we just had our... 25th anniversary, big trip, you know, and when we talk about this a lot, how different, how different we, we are now, it scares the dickens out of me. I thought when we first got married to now, how it changed that much. So again, but this is the change here. As teenage boy, you know, they look like the adult, they, we want them to think and act and speak and all that uh, like an adult. Uh, the physiological, change, physiological changes, again, are probably more traumatic than the way other people look at them. Now, what goes with this, attaching to, uh, an attachment to this, is that they start viewing everything differently. And you know, you've probably you know, gone through a Psych 101 course, you know, and you talk about you know, the developmental stages and how they're looking at things, and Piaget and the formal operation, all that kind of stuff. Because now, again, emotionally, okay, they are starting to think differently. It's no longer the just concrete stuff. They're starting to think more abstractly. They can think more in abstract principles and, and concepts and that kind of stuff. Whereas before, it's pretty much black and white. You know, two and two is four. That's good enough. But now they're starting to think, okay, wait. And it, but it's more for them, themselves. They're starting to realize that it's like exercising their brain. It's like the kids, the boys that are the big kids, and they're starting to realize, man, I've got the muscles. I'm bigger than most of the other kids. I kind of like that. And they start exercising that or start starting to do things that kind of emphasize that or they get stuff from that. Now, I'm talking about the bully. Okay, but guys, remember? You remember picking teams? You remember picking teams when you were a kid on the playground? How do we pick teams, guys? Uh, yeah, right, right. There's always the two captains, right? And who are the captains? Best. Always. Always the best. Or, or what? Huh? Best, biggest, or? We always forget this. Maybe sometimes the scary one. Okay, but you got okay. But there's one thing we always forget. Yeah, it's the biggest. It's the best. So what else? It's the one who has the ball. He may be the smallest one, but what? He's got status. He's got something. Because nobody's playing without him. So he becomes the captain, right? He does that. Okay? Now, here's what happens. We pick teams how? Is it the, is it the best friend? It's ability, right. It's a status thing, right? That's the way guys are. It's a hierarchy. It's status, right? And woe be unto you if you are picked last, right? Because if you're picked last, what does that say about you? Scrub. Oh, scrub. You're scum. You know, so but, you know, what I found out, though, is the, the prayer life of kids... Uh, boys goes exponentially up when they're being picked because you're, you know, that firing squad syndrome, you're kind of up against the wall being picked. You know, they're being picked. Oh, gosh, oh, gosh, oh. And now you're seeing your whole self-worth is just diminishing, right? And then, you know, if it's the kiss of death, if you're sitting there with Lumpy, 
You know, Lumpy's the last one, and you're the last one. Oh my gosh! Oh Lord, I beseech thee, please don't be leave, don't let me be picked after Lumpy. You know, right? Because then I says, oh, that's just terrible. All right. So again, all this stuff's happening now. Again, the way they think, the way their 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 mindset is working now, and again, the physiological change, the emotional stuff. They're thinking things differently now. Okay. But they're coming into this world now, thinking, okay, there's a status. The way they think for guys, and they start getting a sense of this in these years, is that who I am is based on what I do. Or how good I am. Okay, that's what that's what it comes down to. And so again, now they're bigger, bigger expectations. So now, okay, I got to produce, so to speak. I got to produce. I got to do well. I got to do this. But again, we forget as parents sometimes they may not be able to because again, they're still kids. They look six feet tall. They may be shaving. They may be able to move a piano by themselves, <laughs> but they can't figure it out. Okay, so again, all that's happening here, and you know, I think it goes back to this, uh, kind of jumping ahead. But if if you look on D with numbers uh, three and four, they kind of go together, and, and I just like to blame Paul with this whole thing, what we're talking about here, because you know what First uh, Corinthians thirteen eleven says, you know, when I was a child, what? what thought like a child, spoke like a child, you know, reasoned like a child, all that kind of stuff. But then I put that away, right? And so, but we as adults. We want that to happen. Now, you look like an adult, and that's got to happen right now. Quit thinking like a child. Quit speaking like a child. Don't reason like a child. You look like an adult, act like an adult. And do it right now. Okay? And again, you know, we could say that's, that's impatient or that's unfair or whatever, but that's kind of a reality for all of us. But that's what's going on with them. Um, and again, we can just, you know, we can just blame Paul for that. But again, basically we're saying think as mature as you look. All right? Um, now, Going down to the next point, it kind of go, it just kind of goes with it. What are they thinking? Now that's the million dollar question right there. What is it? You know, what's going on in the teenage brain? Listen, I've been to grad school. I sat through all the psychology and all that kind of stuff, and I've been you know in a, in a practice. I can't answer this this question. Okay, I work with them every day. Okay. God has this figured out. I don't. Okay? But there are some things we can glean and we can learn from this. And again, we go back to that whole Piaget thing, this formal operation. Now they're thinking more you know, abstractly. Uh, they have more adult-like thinking capabilities, capacities. They do have that. Okay? But again, they're still not there. They're still not kids. Okay? Uh, he's now evaluating. He's now accepting or rejecting, even owning his own thoughts. Okay? But the other thing is, and this is where I think a lot of tension comes to play. Again, sometimes with guys, with dads, it's because maybe for the first time, they might be subtly, maybe even passive-aggressively, starting to challenge. You know? Anybody experienced that? Maybe not. Okay. Uh, I'm just throwing that out there. So they start to challenge, you know? And it may be not in a real combative way, but sometimes it's like, it can be, you know, uh, I don't know, where'd you get that, Dad? I mean, where'd you come up with that? You know? Well... And then you feel like, oh, okay, i got to defend myself, huh? All right, I don't, because I'm the dad. That always works, right? I'm the dad, that's why it works, right? But they start to challenge a little bit. And it's not, again, it's not always combative, but sometimes it's about, okay, in the, even in their mind, why do I believe this? Do I really buy into this stuff? And that's scary, but also sometimes as dads, we've got to realize, you know, they're not really, it's not a personal affront to us. This is kind of a normal and natural thing. They start to question and evaluate and reject even, and that's okay. That's okay. Now, if you're really connected to your kid, you really, I don't think, should be worrying too much about them rejecting God. Okay? Although that's possible, 
It's possible. We, but you know what? If, we, if we're really doing what we should be doing, and you can always start if you haven't been, you kind of go, you feed God into them. You know, and then I think that less, it is a scary thing. I think you know, when Kyle was talking about this, it's that how many times when the high school kid goes off to college, they walk away from the faith. That's a scary thing. It's scary. It doesn't have to be, though. Again, it's that, it's that ongoing conversation we talked about. What do I know that they know? And what have I said? What have I you know, spoken into them? That's what we're talking about here. But the other thing is this, along with this, is that there's, and I say this, sometimes it's scary. I think parents get scared about this. But boys, well, teenagers essentially, but boys in particular, uh, teenage boys have this, what seems like a secret life. They have this secret life going on. And it just drives us crazy. How do we know that? Well, you ask them questions, and they really don't want to talk. Uh, or they just kind of, you know, they quit coming up. Hey, Mom, what's for dinner? You know, they quit doing that. Or, Mom, you're just the greatest ever, you know. It kind of stops, kind of wanes a little bit, you know. And now they're kind of looking you know, on the couch, kind of sitting around, and not really making eye contact. And now we're thinking, I'm going to make them kind of talk to me. How's that work, right? You're going to talk to me. You're going to enjoy it, too. Why? Because we have to have this. You're going to talk back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But see, that's what happened. So, but really, there's this secret life. And it has nothing to do, and hear this, this secret life has nothing to do with you. It doesn't. We think it does. That they hate me. They hate me. They're not talking. They just hate me. No, no. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. But here's the thing. Sometimes it's about you know what they're processing. They're figuring out well, who am I? What am I? And all the stuff, the physiological stuff, the emotional stuff, the spiritual thing, all that kind of stuff is happening. And so again, they're just kind of. We think it's you know something about us, and it really has nothing to do with us. They're becoming adolescents. They're becoming adults eventually. Okay. But they're kind of processing things on their own. They have a lot of things going on in their minds. They have a lot of questions. But at that point, again, where they are transitionally, intellectually, emotionally, they really don't want to ask you. Again, it's not that they hate you. It's not that they think that you don't have an answer. Because trust me, they know you've got an answer. My parents, my kids, and I'll say this in front of Rebecca, I think they really hate asking me questions. Why? Because I'm a talker. I'm an explainer. I'm a counselor. I'm a teacher. So when they ask me a question which they don't rarely, I mean, they, they rarely do anymore, because... They don't have that much time. They don't have, yeah, especially when my daughter is ADD. She's ADD, and I start explaining stuff, her eyes roll, bu- roll back in the back of her head, you know. Oh, my gosh. You know, and like, uh, if, they, uh, if they ask Rebecca a question, and she says, why don't you go ask your dad? No. No. Anything but that. Right? No, but again, we have answers for them, but again, sometimes they just want to kind of, you know what? I want mom and dad to know I'm figuring this thing out for myself. I can make my own mistakes. They wouldn't admit that, but it's okay. All right, so they've got the secret life, and it really has nothing to do with us, but how we handle it is very, very important. So again, if your kid's not talking to you, your son's not talking to you, don't go at them with a, you know, with a meat cleaver. You can't force them into change. You can't force them to, uh, uh, to talk to you. Again, they're beginning to be equipped to interact with others in the world. It's on their terms. Okay, This is what we call individuation. And in a counseling setting, and you know, individuation is where they they finally are starting. What they do is they are starting to step outside of that childhood world and also that that parent parental stuff, and they're kind of uh, developing their own identity on their own terms. 
as inexperienced as they are. That's kind of what they're doing. Okay, so this is what they're doing. And again, it kind of goes along with that whole, you know, thinking for themselves, challenging, rejecting, evaluating. All that stuff is happening at that point. At the same time, they're starting to make choices and decisions and judgments based on who they are and what they believe and based on also about 4 billion other 15-year-olds that kind of think the same way, but they feel safe there. Why? Because... A 15-year-old is not going to answer another 15-year-old and go, well, what do, you, what do you think about it? Okay, let me tell you what I did when I was your age. Well, you know, they, they don't. They just kind of accept it. Kind of accept. And it's safe. And it's not threatening. So that's where they live. And that's what they do. Um, and the formal think capacity, what we talked about a little bit, really kind of is unused or delayed until late adolescence. Sometimes the reasons, it varies. But sometimes there's really a lack of opportunity to kind of, uh, you know, do this formal thinking. Sometimes it's dismissal. By that I mean, you know this and you've seen this. When, you're, when your son asks you a question or uh, they're trying to process something and you being an adult with good intention want to answer it for them or we say, or we want to be the director and we say, well, well, where did you come up with that? Why did you think that? Okay? We're looking at them as an adult. We think they should be thinking more like an adult. And they come up with this kind of an idea, this kind of uh, thought. Where is that coming from? Well, again, that does not really keep those lines of communication open. It's the sense of being dismissed. Like, and, and again, in their thinking, they feel like, well, that just proves that I'm still a kid and they really don't see me growing up and they're not going to give me, you know, it's that kind of thing. So all that kind of stuff um, is, part of the, uh, is part of the equation. And then lack of motivation, even anxiety, and again, anxiety big time. And again, I'm not talking about clinical anxiety. I'm just talking about anxiety, stress of being that kid, that teenager, you know. Um, and then is this, and this is giving respect, the number one task of a teenager, the number one task is becoming an adult. Duh. Okay, that's what they want to do. That's what they want to be. But here's the problem. How are they trying to do it? How are they trying to accomplish it? Well, they're inexperienced. It's just, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're making it up as they go. And what's the reference point? Well, we think it might be us, but they're not going to go there because they don't want to be like Dad. They don't want to be like Mom. And they don't want to do it the same way. Right? So what's the reference point? Culture? Friends, other 15-year-olds, okay? But the number one task, really, is becoming an adult. Okay, but let me give you some perspective on this, though. You've seen your son or daughter, your son in particular, maybe come home, flop down on the couch. Man, he's just out, sleeping. And a lot of times, all parents kind of be able to say, man, he is so lazy. Every day he just comes home and just kind of lounges around. He's lazy, 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 lazy. Okay, maybe... Okay, I'm not going to let him off the hook. He may be. But let me give you perspective. If the number one task of a, of a teenager is to become an adult, their job, really at that point though, is being a teenager. Okay? They're trying to work their way up the ladder, so to speak, to be promoted into adulthood. All right? But here's what happens. Think about what their world is like. Okay? They are trying to be, and again, this competitive world, as far as college stuff and school stuff, they are burning at both ends, right? They are just studying and they're trying to keep up here, okay? They are involved with sports or the arts, dance. They're doing all that kind of stuff, okay? That's just two variables right there. What else you got, okay? Well, they go to church. 
We tell them all along, you know, you need to be part of a church. You need to be part of a small group. You need to be part of the youth group. Okay? We're going to be a family that goes to church all the time. Okay? You're going to be a good Christian kid. Okay, so there's three variants. Then they've got a social life going on. Okay, they've got friends. They've got, I don't know, maybe dating, maybe not. They've got a bunch of friends they're hanging out with. Okay, they're trying to be at all this stuff. Okay? And then you've got just the emotional stuff of just trying to manage everything. All right? Okay, so add all those things up. That's a full-time job. That really is a full-time job. You know what it's like you're working 40, 50, 60 hours a week? You are exhausted. You want to go flop down the couch, right? So here again, when you see your kid, when you see your son and he is wiped out, don't always go make the jump already just all the way to, man, they are just lazy. No, remember what they've been going through, what they're doing, okay? Give them a little bit of slack, okay? But again... Trust me, I understand. It's no they still can be lazy. Way lazy. Okay? But again, remember, kind of keep that in perspective as you look at them. Go ahead, Rob. I'm going to share about that. Is, um, that's another just thing I've noticed in years. I'll be out with students. They'll talk about the pressure of their schoolwork more. I remember when I was in high school, you know, how many times have you said as an adult, man, we had a pretty good when we were kids. You know, there was, there was some things you go, man, they kind of take care of them and we set them up for things and all that. And um, you know, I think some of that, just when you can to take the pressure off, you know, with, with, with school and where not you want them to be, and that's a big fear, right? My kid's going to be a dropout, lazy, all those things. But I think we have taken, especially here in Dallas, a whole other level in this, you know, academics, educating, all that stuff. I remember one family told me, it's really refreshing. They said, yeah, my kid got a C and we're celebrating tonight. And I was like, really? And they said, yeah, because he did the best he could. Yeah. And he did, this is not his subject. You know, he really did the best he can. We're going to celebrate. He, he gave, great, gave great effort. And that, I thought, man, what a refreshing thing to hear from a parent. Um, and so just any chance you can to take some of that pressure they're feeling. I can I remember looking, uh, we were out to eat after one of our Sunday night things, and one high school girl, just, she just had this kind of scared look at her. And she said, I had to go home and stay for like three hours tonight. I'm like three hours, you know, and just and so just the pressure that they're feeling, and, uh, and keeping the main thing, the main thing. What things are we again? Earlier we talked about what are our idols? What are the things we really value? And sometimes we are communicating those things maybe in an unhealthy way. So worth looking at. Yeah, uh, it really does talk about keeping the main thing, the main thing. Uh, let me just move on. Really what we're talking about in a nutshell, so much of this, is the heart. It really is. I mean, we can talk about all kinds of things, but really it's about the heart. And we want the heart of that, that son to be for God. Okay? But inherent in every one of us, and I think you have this in your notes, is that there is a change. And, you know, as they're growing up, uh, that, that triggers crisis and how they're resolved. Inherent in each of us as teenagers, and we had this too, is that we have a desire in our heart desires for things that only a relationship of unfailing love can provide. Provide. That's just inherent in all of us. It really is. But here's what happens. The son or the daughter, but in this case the son, our sons, they're going to go after those things on their own terms. Okay? Now there are, I talk about changes, and I put the, just the three primary changes. We've kind of talked about those in the body, in their mind, and eventually the world when they go out there and they're trying to figure this thing out. But then there's tasks, okay, that are associated with this change, okay? How they're going to resolve that, how they're going to 
fill that void they have for this unfailing love. Now we, we know what that is. We know what that is. Through experience, through our own lives, we know that God fills that void. We do that. We understand that. They don't yet. Okay? That's why they have these three these, these tasks that they think are going to fill that. And they're going to try to find it in any way. Okay? One is security. The second is impact. The third is love. Let me go through those real quickly. Uh, remember, their, their, their ultimate objective is to pursue unfailing love, which translates also to acceptance. Okay? But they're going to go out and, they're, one, they're going to try to find security. Security. Security in a group. You know, and then that's what uh, Brahm was talking about earlier. They're going to find a group that provides security. They're going to find something, some way. Okay, it may be security with a relationship. Okay, but again, we're talking about a teenager. How healthy can that relationship really be? I don't know. You know, again, they're talking. We're talking about a kid thinking like a kid, reasoning like a kid. Okay, and again, we don't even talk about what the other person's like. All right, so, but they're going to find that security. The second thing is impact. Okay, that's the other task. And what that means is, it's like us. We want to know, and, and guys, when we leave this world, what kind of world did we leave? What did we do? You know, what mark did we make? Okay, well, the boys are no different, but it's more temporal. It's more right now. If you want to find out how a kid's doing, a teenager's doing, find out what's going on right at the immediate, because their world their whole world exists with the immediate. If life is good, it's because things are good right this minute. If I just made 100 on a quiz, life is great. I can go to the next class and get a test returned that I made a 70 on. Life stinks. All right? We, though, as adults, understand that life changes. Now, kids think that life is way up and it's way down because that's the way they experience it. We understand that yeah, life has its ups, it has its downs, but most it's kind of in between. It's kind of in there, right? But again, but they want to know, what am I doing to leave a mark? What do I do? And, but a lot of times that's because uh, they, they pursue that by doing stuff. Whatever that is. It may be being a bully. It may be trying to excel in a sport, excel in academics, excel in whatever. And that's okay, aside from the bullying. Okay, but they're trying to find that impact. What am I going to do? Okay, the last thing is love. It's just simply love. Okay, where do I find this love? Where do I find it? And again, that goes back again, returning to our responsibility. You know, what have, have we shown them an inviting faith? Do when we talk about God's love, are we modeling that? Do they feel that? Do they understand that? Because when they don't, they're going to find love, whatever that is to them, somewhere else in any kind of relationship. And again, that can be scary. All right. So what our boys need and how to do it. Our boys will need help and understanding. Always. We, just because they become 20, 25, 18, whatever, they're still our kids. They're still our boys. And they still need our help and our understanding. Uh, they need parents willing to believe in them. One of the greatest gifts you can give your son, I believe, is the idea, the reality that, you know what, you believe in them. Even when they're making mistakes, you believe in them. You love them. You're going, to, you're going to show them that there is a tomorrow. Okay, things can get better. And this is about modeling. This is about being, you know, what Christ was uh, was for us. But don't don't forget, as I said a while ago, the reality, uh, the the teenage reality is the moment. All right. If things are going well right now, life is good. Okay. Now, let me go through these principles, and I want to leave time for um, for questions that Braun is going to answer.
Okay, six, six principles for effective parenting. Okay, number one, be there, and I use the word audaciously, okay? The word audacious really means fearless, okay? And here's, here's what's important about this, I believe. I know a lot of parents, a lot of adults, that parent out of fear. Because, again, it was real easy to parent when they were six or seven. In theory, it was easier, right? Because, again, when they're six or seven, they look at you, they're still scared, right? You're still bigger, Right? And you can say that, and that's right. You can withhold stuff, and that's it. Right? Now, as I get older, though, it's not necessarily the case. Okay? So, being there audaciously, being there present, being there recklessly, fearlessly, okay, means that, you know, sometimes you've got to get beyond that fear. Here's this kid. I don't know what to do with this kid. I don't know how to relate to this kid. I don't know what to do. I'm not cool. I don't know that cool factor. You know, I was telling Bron, uh, because of where I work, we always, every year it's like we look around, because, you know, you know, I'm in my 50s, I'm looking around going, how much time do I have a cool factor? Now, the reality is, it may have long since passed, okay, but I'm not going to give up that, all right? But how long? But then I'm looking at my kids. But you know what, I realize, you know what? I'm, I don't have that cool factor. I'm okay with that. I've earned it. I've earned the right not to be cool, all right? Because now we relate, we relate, we talk, we share, you know, and I don't have to be their buddy, okay? But again, uh, but don't be, don't parent out of fear. Be present. Being present doesn't mean you're in the same geographical location. You're not sitting in the same room with them. It means, you know what? You're out there. You're in the midst of them. And you know what? When you're, if you if you see your son, you know, with a bunch of guys, don't be afraid to go up and talk to him. And sometimes, oh, I don't want to do that, right? Sometimes our own fear. But let me tell you something. They are. They are just, if not more, so scared of you, intimidated by you. It's okay to kind of go up there and kind of tickle them under the... No, don't do that. But I mean, just go up there and talk, okay? But be there, be present. The thing I love about that is, um, it's not, this isn't a helicopter, I'm hovering. No. Try it, because that's the fearful parent. Yeah. That's the one. And so, it's not that you got to be present so you can control. It's present so you can know. I love the two words that are used, help. You know, that we would help and that we would be understanding. Those are servant leader qualities. And I, I think that's where um, parents were, or I could see that, that it becomes so fearful. Not that I want to help and understand them, I want to control them. Yeah. And there's a big difference in those two. And so that that's, that's another two different styles of parenting. So. Yeah, the, the world and all that stuff, you know, they can get our boys. They can. Because, why? Because the world's available. It is available, more so than ever when we were growing up. You've got the Internet, you've got whatever else. It's available. That means we have got to show up in a big way. But it's so right that Bron said that. That's great wisdom. I'm not talking about being a controlling helicopter parent, because you know what that does. Right? So, but again, but be there when you can, as you can, and don't be afraid. Second thing is don't force change, provoke it. Okay? Now somebody said to me, oh, it says we're not supposed to provoke our kids. Well, it says don't provoke them to anger. Okay? What I'm saying is provoke change. And here's what I, want to, what I mean by this. Our teenage boys, they live in what I'd call a provocative world. Listen to the music that they listen to, you know, the competitive sports. It's all that stuff. They live in that kind of world. The relationships, the music, the cars, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we need to stay ahead of the curve. We need to stay ahead of the curve. So let me ask you, I need, let me just do this as kind of an illustration. Let me have an ex, uh, volunteer. Any volunteer? Just somebody come here. Uh, <laughs> Alright, you may have seen, I don't know if you've seen this. Here's what I want you to do. Um, I want you to, Reese, I want you to, okay, this is you, that penny is you, okay? This is your son, 
Okay, I want you to push in a straight line. Just, just, just push it straight off the table. Okay, just push it. Okay, you gotta do it slowly, right? Yeah. Okay. Here's another penny. Thank you. Okay, now a lot of people. Has it done your test? No, 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 no. You just gave another version of it. Here's this. A lot of us as parents, we get scared, right? And so what we do is we say, oh, I'm going to parent. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to get through this thing, right? What's great about this, Reese? That's your first name, Reese. Yeah. Okay, Reese. What did he do? What? How did he do it? Slow. Slowly. Why? Why did you do it slowly, Reese? Because uh, that's the only way it would work. Why? Because if you go fast, you go around it. Yeah. If you start going fast, right? Because it's round and everything. He did it slow because why? He can. I hate to use the word control, but he can kind of guide. Yeah. Okay. And adjust. And when he does that, that penny adapts to him. Okay? Now, a lot of people would get scared. A lot of parents, they just do this, and man, they lose it. They lose it. But here, if you go slow, you can kind of guide. And you see when it's kind of going a little right, it's going a little left. Okay, you can adapt. Thanks, Reese. That's all I want to see. Put him at two cents. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, he's here all night, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Okay, so don't force change, provoke it. But that's what I'm talking about. We can subtly kind of change, help change our kids. Why? Because here's the thing. Reese changed his approach. When he saw what was going on, if he had just said, well, you know, I'm just going to push it off the table. I'm just going to push it. It would have failed, right? He knew that he had to change. He had to adapt. But in turn, the penny, his son, is going to change. Here's the thing. We, it's okay. We have to realize we need to change. But when we change, our kids will adapt to us. They really, really will. Will, uh, will. When Braun says to his, you know, to his son, you know, he's, he's the anger guy, I'm the worry guy, you know, that, that kind of stuff. When we do that, we're teaching them something. But I've learned I have to change. And when I changed, I think Patrick saw that and he changed. Or else he would have kept going down that same worry line Okay, but here's the thing. What's the one thing that gets in the way of that for us? It's pride. Pride gets in the way of that change, that simple change, that good change that we have to, I think, really have to. So again, you're the first penny, but you can suddenly affect the direction of the penny, your son, which way they're going, and you can get your son to adapt to, the, to uh, uh, because you changed for his good. The third thing about effective parenting is your beliefs about you, about your son, about life can and will control. How you parent? I said, don't parent out of fear. Okay, here's what I'm talking about here. And this more sounds like this may sound more like psycho babbling. I'm sorry if it does, but a lot of times we have unresolved stuff, you know, unfinished business or underground belief systems, that kind of stuff that we haven't resolved, we haven't dealt with, whatever that is for you. And we all have some, to some degree something. Okay, but a lot of times we take that out, and that kind of guides the way we're going to parent. And again, we've got to deal with that. We've got to find out. And again, for me, one thing, and I'm saying this is a multitude, but one thing was the worry thing. One thing was the fear thing. Maybe it's the anger thing. Whatever it is, what is it about me that maybe is keeping me from being effective as I parent this, this young man? Fourth thing is be like Ford. Get a better idea, not a bigger hammer. Okay? Here it is. We try to parent, and we see things that are going wrong. And like, if you're like me, anything can be fixed with a hammer. And a few strokes, right? I'll fix that thing, I'll fix that thing. And then maybe if it doesn't, what do we do? Usually we go for a bigger hammer, right? When, re- when the reality is, okay, maybe this isn't working. So why, if this isn't working, maybe I'm failing here, why would I go and just get a bigger thing and keep doing the same thing that's already failing? Maybe there's something else I need to do. And I'm not saying, you know, find somebody. 
find a friend, find a mentor, find another parent or another couple, whatever, that you can kind of relate to and talk to and kind of talk through this thing. Maybe just converse as parents and say, you know, what are we doing here? Should we change this? Or maybe it's me. You know, whatever that is. But come up with a better idea, not a bigger hammer, okay? Uh, fifth, don't just tolerate, be passionate. Here's what I mean by that. Again, a lot of times, Brown and I were talking about this. A lot of times parents will have their kids, their teenagers, and it's like, I just want to get through this thing. Whatever it is, I just want to get through this thing and just get them out the door because I don't know what to do or I'm scared of whatever else. You know what? And I think really to be proactive, it's to be passionate about it. It's like that self-talk thing. Change the self-talk. It says, you know what? Yeah, you know, I'm a little scared. I'm a little bit intimidated about this. But you know what? These are my kids. This is my son. I'm passionate about him. I love him. And I think God's got a great thing for him. I want to get involved here. Okay, so get involved with it. Jump in there. Be passionate about it. Let them see your passion, and it goes along with the, fa- uh, the little final thing. Again, and, I, and I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm at fault with this too. I think my kids have missed out a lot of times with the joy. Sometimes I really don't exhibit and uh, you know model the joy that really I know I've been given because of God, and I want them to remember that. And I think they do because we have a fun family. We really do. But you know, and the greatest thing we had our pictures taken on our, in a, when we took our trip, and the favorite picture was a bunch of pictures that our kids liked the most. Was this one? It was one of those where we were just, he, he told us to do one thing, and it was really kind of you know it's like like a lot of photographers. I don't know. I'm not bashing photographers if you are one. But how they say you know uh, you know okay lean back turn this this way you know it's like there's no way you're contorted and it's not, this can't be comfortable but it's supposed to make the best picture. And so he's got me all you know all this kind of stuff. Well then he says okay Rebecca now now lay on him lay on Bob. Okay. I'm you know I'm thinking oh my gosh. And then he says now Bob relax look relaxed. Okay now smile. I, I was not relaxed. Didn't want to smile. Okay, but he took the picture. Well, he's taking the picture, and then finally, you know, he's he's resetting something, and so we're just dying laughing because I'm in pain and everything. Well, he took a few pictures of that, and the favorite picture that the kids like the most is the one that we're just I'm just laughing, and she's just laughing because they know. And and Kelsey says because that's y'all, that's y'all. So again, that's you know that's that's great for us um, just to know that, and that's where the joy comes to play. All right, one last sure thing. Questions. One thing I can remember vividly through the years talking to a parent, I remember a, a dad who was having some struggles with his son. He said, his quote was, man, I've done all the stuff. I took him on the trip. I did the camping deal. I, he started listing these things. And I think that's what we want sometimes. And I think kids, I mean, our boys are going to see through that. If you're a daddy who goes, you know, I've, I've kind of checked the boxes to make you what I demand. They're going to see through this. Hey, do you love me? If you love me, you want to hang with me. And so my my advice and counsel to that dad was, hey, engage as much as you can, man. If he won't go to church, go hang with him yourself. Take him to dinner. Do stuff to build a relationship and don't have any agenda. Besides, you want to hang with him. You love him. And it, that was such a foreign thing to this dad. And um, so I go, wherever you are, man, if you may be the one that engages a lot, man, engage more. You know, I love that audaciously present. I just, um, that's a great counselor. I'm just thinking, man, I want to be around my boys. I want to know that I love hanging with them. And, that, and not that I'm, I'm burdened by them or go get in bed. I read some recently that we're always in a hurry. You know, and I've, I've watched myself, my young kids going, hurry up and get, you know, get done taking a bath or shower and get in bed because I want my me time. And I thought, why am I in such a hurry? You know, I'm going to go out there and sit in the 
recliner. I'm going to go out there and look at the computer or whatever. And I thought, man, these these days are, you know, are, I need to take advantage of these days. That's true if they're, in, if they're eight or if they're 18. And so I just, just encourage you that way. Uh, we've, we've got less time than I wanted for questions. Here's what I'll do. Let's take some questions, and then I'll stick around afterwards. So if you want to, I know there's another group we'll be coming here in a little while. But questions? I know we have maybe one. Um, yeah. yeah, it's you, Stacey. Yeah, You're the only one. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I kind of feel like I have to give this preface of all the things that we've done right because it's a big question. But my son is 17, and he does not want to talk about God. He does not want to talk about the Bible. He basically, um, as far as his will and his mind, he feels like that is good enough. He is very willful about making good choices. He's not drinking. He's not, you know, he, and he loves his small group here. He loves going to Pine Cove. He's just, he's a good kid. But about three months ago, he just kind of said, you know what, Mom? I just kind of want to do what I want to do. And all these rules. Yeah. I don't have a lot of use for it right now. And I'm like, wow, you know, well, thank you for being honest with me, you know, that you that you would share that with me because I think a lot of teenagers would hide that oh, yeah. from their parents. But, I mean, he, he's, he's out of the teaching phase. I really think he just... So, one, just any advice on that arena, but two, the, I guess about a month ago, he opted to go out to breakfast with a small group instead of going to church and then lied to us about it. Mm. And so then we kind of came up against the wall of like, well, do we force him to go to church? Uh, and that was just like, you know, you, the control thing mm. and you want him to choose it. Sure. He's 17. Mm. And so those were my big questions. Well, let me, let me start. I'll let Braun talk to I know he's probably dealt with this too. Um, I think, I want to encourage you because one, I think the fact that he's asking you questions, he's still talking to you about it, doesn't, you know, you're not anathema, you're not like, oh my gosh. I think that's good. I think if he was, and I, if I hear you right, I don't hear him just completely rejecting. No. I don't, and, no. and I don't want to give you, you know, so I don't want to dismiss it either. I don't want to say, well, um, that, you know, he'll, oh, he'll come back, or it's no big deal. You know, he'll, I think he. I think that he will. I think I really believe that the promise. You know, but I think right now he's what we were talking about. He's in a part, time where he is really thinking for himself. I'd be more concerned. I'm not saying that's not valid, but I think I'd be more concerned if he was just saying, "I don't want anything to do with you." I don't want to, because, in a lot of respects, in large respects, you represent the church and God. And so he may be, may, I say reject, he may be not wanting to have anything to do with the institution right now, the church, for whatever reason, but I don't think he's rejecting everything about it. If he rejected you, I'd be more concerned. If he rejected faith completely, I think I'd be more concerned. Uh, I, I would first, you know, I think I would, I, again, I don't know how you respond to him all the time, you know. I, I don't think you're, you don't seem to me to be one that kind of, you know, gets in his face and, you know, does that kind of stuff. I think the best thing you can do is let him voice. Don't feel like you have to have this this uh, perfect response every time. Let him voice it. Maybe it's just it's just restating what he's thinking. What I'm hearing you say, son, is you, know, you don't like that. Or what I think is that you're going through this and this. 
Because again, sometimes again, seventeen year olds, fifteen year olds, they really don't know when they they don't know what they're thinking. They just don't. We think they do, and they may sound like they do, but they don't. I think it's great that he still wants to hang with his small group or be a part of that. I think that's that says a lot. So I don't think he's rejecting. I really don't. Uh, but I, I know how that'd be kind of wow. His does not want to look at the Bible or be in the Word or whatever. And I, I guess you know part part like due to the way that my husband and I are, I guess he views it as just a whole bunch of rules. Mm-hmm. And so he, I, that tells me he doesn't have that heart relationship with the Lord right now. Yeah, well, you know, again, also kids and adults to a degree, a lot of us don't like rules. Yeah. We don't like stuff, <laughs> especially teenagers. You know, wrong. Yeah, I just would say I, I agree with the small group piece of that. That he he is hearing the word. He is. That's what they do. And so, besides when they skip church, which is. I'm sure that they tied an analogy to that. That was the day that Todd brought the tiger to church. I mean, when there's thousands of people in church, I had the feeling Drew wasn't there. I just had it. And I was like, so Drew, what do you think about that tiger in the church? And he was like, (laughs) (laughs) You weren't there, were you? Mom, you have lost (laughs) So I I, I would say in that case, Encourage them, and we're, I'd encourage them where you can, and we're still really glad that you're going to. The lying thing's one thing to address, obviously, um, but 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 the, I would say, man, in that case, the times I've seen parents force their kids, especially at a high school, one year he's on his own, right? He's going to go off to college, and and so at that point I go, man, I, that's one that I would encourage him to stay involved. That small group, man, I really love you're doing that. We're encouraged by that, and hit on that rather than the fact you didn't go to church uh, but those are those are tough battles when I've seen parents force there I haven't seen it happen that turn out very well you know the kids kind of go now you force me and there is this natural thing for a lot of kids if they are intellectually wired they want to wrestle with their faith and that's yeah. not all bad yeah. um, because they'll if, typically they'll wrestle with and they'll come out come out on the other side and go man I wrestled and now I'm have a greater resolve yeah. of who Christ is. So sometimes in our fear, we don't want them to wrestle. And I go, man, I think you encourage them. Hey, it's great you wrestle. I think you're going to find as you wrestle with it, um, you know that you're going to find that God's Word is true and you're going to continue to come back to what is true and what is right. Yeah, one thing, I we just have one little thing. I think the way you respond in love is going to speak volumes more than at least perceptibly imposing another rule. You have to be at church every day. I mean, every day. You know, I think beyond that, what you what you need to do is just continue to kind of love Him through the show of compassion, because that is modeling God. That's modeling Christ, and that is what we're to do. Not you know, it doesn't have a requirement that says you, know, you have to be at church every Sunday morning. Do this, do that. Yeah, we ended up telling him, you know, we don't want to tell you you have to go to church. We don't really know what to do with this. Actually, Drew, we want you there, but we don't want to force you and. It was interesting because, like, the next Sunday, he actually ended up riding with us to church. Yeah. I mean, he can drive himself, and he always does, but I think he was just trying to show us that I'm here, I'm with That's you, great. and all of that. No, that's really good. He wants to make his faith his own, not y'all. Yeah, I pray for that every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, you always hear the rules without relationship. Yeah, yeah. So I always think 
really pursue him hard in the relationship aspect. Yeah, there you go. And then train up a child the way they should go. The Lord, he loves him more than you do, yeah. if you can believe that. And so he's the one that created him. And so I think with prayer would be a huge thing at this point. And just trusting that the Lord is going to, and you want his faith, like Ron said, to be his own. I've seen, I've heard a lot, I'm a dental hygienist, I've seen a lot of teenage kids, and I've been there 24 years, and I see a lot of them pull away from the Lord. And it's funny how, you know, they come back after college, and their faith is strengthened, and it's like they're walking on their own. You know, it's kind of like they found their own faith. I've mm-hmm. never three patients, and I've seen. That's right. I think we have the ability to, on left on our own, make really bad decisions, and I think that no matter what age you are, that you've walked away from your faith or just put it off, that you are a Christian, you tend to realize, when did all this start? When did I, you know, start feeling so bad? Or maybe, yeah, this is, how did I get to where I am? And you usually you line it right up with, oh, that's when yeah. I started. Yeah. 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 I walked away from God. God's making good decisions. And he is, you know, he's not drinking. He's not, he comes home curfew. And, and he's like, I can do all this on my own willpower. And it's just like, and he's still the other thing that says he's still feeling on the small group level he's feeling something there that's drawing yeah, him there there's still attachment maybe friendships but it's also he's hearing the word he's hearing truth whether he's acknowledging it or not there's something that's drawing <coughs> to that to go I want to continue Reese uh, I, I have uh, kids that are 13, 15 and 17 uh, and I think one of the common threads that I hear in my community group is it's just, uh, especially for some of us who are you know, new, newer believers, is that uh, it's just, just being really totally overwhelmed. And I feel like, you know, it's great if you're training your kid up, you know, when they, you know, when they, you know, just immediately, but on these kids that have maybe seen poor behavior model or, or what they, uh, and I know the Bible says don't be anxious a hundred times. This is don't worry seventy times. I mean, what can you what can you throw out there uh, to, to alleviate some of that? Well, you know, we were, Ron and I talked about if I heard you right, Ron and I talked a little bit about that. Is that there's never a point. I just don't believe there's a point where you kind of say, well, we blew it there or we didn't start there, so we pretty much you know we're kind of lost. You start, you just jump in. You start where you are. I think the great thing is, yeah, are you new at Watermark? Or? Yeah, I've been at Watermark for eight months. Okay. And this is not a sales pitch, but this is the greatest place to find people, or they will find you, to come alongside you who know your battles, know where you're at. And this is, one of, this is what's great about community of believers, because you do come alongside. And, you know, you say, Reese, you know what? Man, I, I know, you know, this is where you are, you know, just where you've been or whatever. And they can kind of help you along. And there are people just like you. That's what's great about this church. There's, there's a, a, a plethora, I mean, of, of situations, scenarios and, and, and uh, that are like yours. But I, I guess just to answer, you know, briefly, is I think you just don't, I think that's a lie that Satan would love you to believe. It's too late. Mm-hmm. And it's just never too late. It, it just didn't. <clears throat> Sorry, and you said really early in your talk that um, about authenticity. Yeah. And I think that's so good. And if, if you guys realize, if I heard you right, I don't know. Um, if 
if you feel like you've made mistakes, man, the best thing for our kids is for us to just keep on saying, man, I really blew it. Or the first 15 years of your life, we weren't walking with Christ. Or whatever, whatever, wherever you've been. Um, my husband and I both came from really dysfunctional homes. And, and when we first got married, we both said, you know, even today, if, if our parents could just say, today, after 25 years, man, I blew it, and, and I am so sorry, and I, you know, all of that would be gone, and, and I'd love to, you know, start a whole new relationship, you know, at that point, and I think that's true for us with our kids, you know, every time, or if we've blown it for 10 years, or 20 years, or whatever, man, start today by saying, you know, being broken, and, and just saying, I have blown it, I've blown it here, you know, be thorough, not just Sorry, I've been a good parent, or you know, but be thorough and be authentic and just broken and just saying, I want to do so much better with you guys, and I want to, um, you know, I want us to grow together as family and you know, just as much opportunity as you can mm-hmm. and encouragement about where you want to go and, and just apologizing and owning what you can for the past. You know, you're so right about that because my mother-in-law has done that. She has five children, and they're they should be complete mess. Tons of alcoholism, three marriages. She owns every single bit of it. She laughs at herself. She talks about it in depth. Her children are all walking the board. Every one of them, they should not be. Mm. And uh, and they're strong Christians. And she is so wonderful to talk to. And that's one of the things that endears her to us so much. Authenticity. Oh, yeah, that's great. It's not the person that thought they did it all right as much as the person one that did it all wrong. Yeah. Do you know what's great about that? That's a great example and a great opportunity to model. I mean, I don't know where you are in your faith about how long you've been a believer, but when the Bible says, you know, that you know we're new create new creatures, the old is past. That's like you can basically stand up in front of your family. And say, you know what? The old stuff is past. We're doing. We're under a new authority here new management, so to speak, and say, we're going to do things differently. Yeah, the way I did in the past, that was under a whole different management system. But now it's about, you know, it's about faith stuff, about Christ stuff. So, yeah. Uh, just a comment. Uh, I'm more on the oldest guy in here, I can tell. Uh, Parker, our 16-year-old son, who no one knows well, um, he has a brother that's 16 years older than him. And I... My perspective on today and our 32-year-old son is I came for a refresher because I will tell you, I grew up with the 8-track tape and the the screen door that was never locked. And our world was small. Our kids' worlds today are the world. Mm -hmm. And instant information, that's the thing that scares me more than anything. Not the instant information, the missing. Okay. And I see that, and, and and I my challenge to Parker all the time is just talk to us about it. Tell us. You know, and the one rule I have with Parker is don't lie. I'd rather hear you tell me something I don't want to hear yeah. than you tell me something you think I want to hear. You know? And he's pretty open, and that's not always, but that, I think that's what opens those lines of communication is the fact that he sometimes, not always, feels like he can bring it to us and tell us, even though we may not like it. And I've had to bite my bottom lip many times, but I'd rather him feel comfortable in telling yeah. us. Yeah. And then, then we have the communication talk. But, but I will tell you the change from 
16 years ago when his brother was 16 and, and Parker today uh, is completely different. And in 16 years, you know, uh, it's going to be completely different. Yeah. So, and here's, so, the good, here's the good news with that, man, is that, you know, in student ministry, I've talked a lot. I said some things don't change. What doesn't change is relationship. It just does not change the need for it, the need for us to engage. There may be a greater need today, but but that's the one thing that continues to, you know, Christ with the disciples to what we're doing with our, our kids. And that's good. That's the one thing we can do, engage. And uh, so I love, that's a really good word for all of us. Thank you. I, I hope we can address, well, I have one more question. I know you don't have a lot of time, but when you're talking about the culture that your kids are growing, our kids are growing up and how different they are, mm-hmm. that's kind of what is really freaking me out right now is, you know, you, your children up there, well, I want to go to a movie, and where are you going? What movie is it? You know, if it's rated PG-13, it might be really R, you know, just short of R. And, um, you know, some of the kids, some of their friends can do things that you don't let your kids do. And and I've been thinking about it so much because I feel like I'm, uh, I've am i got my finger in a dike, you know. It, it just, I cannot withhold the, the filth and the, and the perversions and things now that they're 17 and, um, and and I don't want to be the kind of Christian who just accepts, you know, some of this, well, it's just the way it is, you know. We're going to see new people on sex scenes all the time, so I might as well just get used to it. I don't know that God calls us as parents. I can quote chapter and verse on that. But, um, and I realize that it's the, co- the wallpaper of their culture, stuff that we're appalled at. They see it all the time. And they're like, what? You know, there's yeah. a lot of stuff in the 70s yeah. when I grew up yeah. that my parents would, you know, that I didn't understand, you know, but now I know that it was something that was something else back then. So, as a, as a parent, you know, what is our attitude? You know, I obviously can't change it, but if you could just speak to that, because I just don't, I'm just really confused because what God tells me the parent I'm supposed to do hmm. and what the culture, it, it's unavoidable. You know, if you look at somebody's Facebook, some of these things that kids write down, it's just mind-boggling, you know, the language and the, the pictures and the clubs they belong to and all this kind of stuff. Well, it's very easy. Yeah, the first thing, and again, I know we really have a short time, but let me just say, the first thing I'd say is this, and I believe this, because it is scary. It is scary. We do get that fear quotient, and it wraps it up. But here's the thing. You never abdicate your responsibility as a mom as a dad. And here's why I'm saying that. A lot of times we think, well, I can't fight this thing. You know, and I'm just I'm just gonna pray and hope that it just it just works out. You know what? I think what you do is you communicate a standard. Here's the way you know, and you can't fight the other Christian families down the hall or down next door. They may be doing things great, whatever, but you can't put it through that filter. You know your kids better than anybody. You know yourself. You know who you are. And I think you say this is the way we're going to do this. Now, it doesn't mean the kids are going, thank you, Mom, thou art blessed. That's not going to happen. But you know what? As, as the responsible parties, as the parents, you say, you know what? This is what we're up against, but this is what we're going to, how we're going to fight it. This is what we're going to, the standard that we use. It's biblical. It's this or that. And I know, you know, you don't want to be a parent, oh, yeah, we're going to do this, or be a stereotype or whatever else. You've got to do what is right for you in your home. Now, there's a little, probably a lot of commonalities. We'd all kind of go, yeah, well, I agree with you on this one, that. But again, there's a world out there that 
that is the antithesis of where we are right now. And they want your kids. You want your kids, and God wants your kids more so. I believe you just kind of say, you know what, pragmatically, this is what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Now, they might not be real receptive all the time. I do. But, you know, it's like what you were saying. You know, it's an issue of forcing. Are you, know, are you so heavenly minded? You're no way perfectly yeah. good. You know, at what age do you start to say, I mean, Sam's two years from leaving the house. Yeah. You know, in January, he'll be one year from leaving the house. Do I still try and put these, you know, stops on things? And, you know, he said the other day, you know, you've raised me right. Can't you... said to you, don't you trust me? Or don't you, you know, and that's what goes back to what I was talking about. Not with this vision. You know, it's like, here's the, you've got, you know what, there's a point. You can't be where he's going to be every hour of every day. And there's a point where you say, you know what, I'm going to trust him. Now, whether he does or he doesn't, you're still going to trust him. He makes the decision based on what you've instilled in him. He's not going to do it right all the time. But I think that was a big indicator of the fact that he, he's heard stuff from you. He does understand there's a standard. He does understand the value system your family lives by. And, you know, and there, there are times, we, you know, when we talk to our kids, and there was a time when Pat, I don't know, he was 16 or 17 maybe, and he'd say, well, Dad, what do you think? He goes, I don't know, I'm thinking about going to this movie, whatever. And I would just say this, not to cop out, but I would say, you know what, Pat, I trust your judgment on this. And he, they've got to learn, they don't answer to me. They answer to God. Yeah. That's their ultimate, that's who they answer to. James, uh, James Dobson, uh, his kids wanted to go see a movie, and and all the friends we want to see, and he said, oh, Dad, it just has a little bit of sex, it just has a little bit of violence, it just has a little bit of nudity, and he said, I'll give you 24 hours, 
uh, uh, give me 24 hours, you know, to, to make a decision. So they come to dinner, they're having dessert, and he said, I, I baked brownies. And I don't know if y'all ever heard yeah. of that. Yeah. 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 And so he said, but I just put a little bit of Scruffy's poop in it. Just a little bit. Yeah. And so uh, now my kids ask me this, if they go see a movie, they're like, man, Dad, not a dog poop in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a good, good example. Uh, it's it is yeah. really good practice. Let them go to screenit.com and, and look at all the things and just talk to you about it. Go, hey, yeah, why, would you think, why would you think that this would be a good movie? Come tell me why you think this would be a great movie for you to go, and I want to know what's in it. And they're going to go, well, there's nudity in it, and there's all this stuff that I think would be really good. And they're going to go, what's the site? Screen it. Yeah, but, but after you've gone to screen it, you've seen the movie. Try to plug this. Plug it. Another thing, I've always prayed that they can stand alone, but without being judgmental. And that's something they're going to have, especially in this world. I mean, and even with your Christian friends. Yeah, we have to stand stuff to our house. Well, you know, what you're saying is what we do. So here's my question. Is there a certain age? I mean, you all think 16 or like 17 is a better age than 16 to start saying your decision? I think if they show responsibility, it's how they... It's the choices thing. I think it depends on the... It's not an age. It depends on the kid. It's like when you know, if I ask this, okay, when does a kid become an adult? When does someone become an adult? And what, uh, how are we saying that? Why are we saying that? Exactly. The law can't even figure it out because they'll say 18 or 21 or 70 for certain things, that kind of stuff, okay? So again, even, and I'm and not be facetious, but I mean, I think at that point, really, you know your kid better and some kids can handle certain things as opposed to other kids at certain ages. You know, there are 32-year-old men and women, I'd go... They're no more mature than my, you know, 17-year-old daughter. You know, I'd rather have my daughter who's 17 doing stuff, you know, because they, they can't figure it out. So, again, it depends on the person, not the... Not the, the Colleen, go ahead. Yeah, I have one more question. The one thing that's really I've struggled with over the past year was the kids who leave some of the Christian schools. Yeah, yeah. Is it because they're not being trusted enough while they're under our roof uh-huh. that so... Very many of these kids are really experimenting with life. They're, I mean, I know that we're trying to prepare them for life outside of yeah. the bubble. Yeah. But so many of them are not able to handle it. No, you know what? They don't. They just lose all discernment, and it's been kind of my idea. You read the papers. Yeah. Colin, I'm looking at it two ways. One, it's because of what you just said, but I think there's the flip side also is because there's a sense of, you know, this hasn't been the real world, and I want to experience the real world. I want to get out there and experience. So it's like Pandora's box now is free to me, you know, or because they've, you know, from what you stated, I just think there's there's two sides of that, you know. Um, and I don't know that you can just say it, that this equation... A plus B always equals C. Right. Because I don't think it always does. Sometimes if you allow them to make those mistakes while they're at home. Oh, yeah. And you're there and you're yeah. able to get them the right guidance and stuff. Yeah. At least in our case, with our one child, I'm sure it would be completely different with the second one. But and I didn't like the way it happened. But I'm glad that it did ultimately in the end because we were there for her. It's safer. To yeah. Guide her through it so that she kind of had already experienced it with parents. And she's a great kid, too. She is. <laughs> I can say that I'm removed. <laughs> like all of them. But um, 